Well, good morning, church. My name is Kyle Kennecott. I am the pastor of students here, and I just got to say that Pastor Nate, while he is on sabbatical, is demonstrating a lot of faith by having this newbie preach for the first time in his absence. Um, so, oh my. Um, but uh, it is so good to be with you all this morning, to be worshiping the Lord together. Um, we will be continuing our series through the Psalms, uh, going through Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, and really with it being my first time, I just wanted to not preach just on one chapter, but two. Um, I'm joking. Um, it is one continuous thought as we will see. And so we needed to join these two Psalms together. It is our hope that through this series, that God would draw us closer to him through the proclamation of his word, that we would be people who would depend on him through the full gamut of emotions and experiences, that we would be a people that are truly satisfied in our great triune God because of what Christ Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. One of my favorite songs uh, is an, an old one from the 1800s, and it says this, maybe you know it. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. This is one of my favorite songs. It goes down in history, I think, as one of the most comforting songs. Um, these words were penned by Horatio Stafford in 1873. And uh, some, uh, some, uh, not many of us may know his story, but he, Horatio uh, Stafford, was a wealthy business owner and faithful supporter of D.L. Moody. Uh, shout out to Moody because that's where I graduated from, so had to bring that in. Um, but anyways, he was a faithful supporter of D.L. Moody and he lost his entire livelihood in the great Chicago fire in 1871, along with his four-year-old son and his business. And so not long after that event, some time had passed and he began to rebuild the business. His family wanted to go on a vacation. And so his wife and daughters went on a boat to Europe and he stayed behind to make sure the business was okay for his departure. And sadly, he never got to see his daughters again for there was a shipwreck and only his, his wife survived from his family. And so, uh, for him, Spafford chose to write these words, even in the midst of such pain. It is well, it is well with my soul. Words that articulate a deep sense of hope in the midst of such terrible pain. What do we do when we find ourselves in a place of deep pain? I don't know what exactly it is for you, but maybe you've experienced some kind of trauma, some kind of betrayal, some kind of heartbreak, some kind of hurt. As a result, some of us, we may feel like we're uh, um, one that is engaged in such suffering that it feels like we are just on life support, that it feels like that we are just so numb to the life that is around us. 
We are one that we are in a, a desert in need of water. And so in the midst of such pain, even for you, even for me, can we find hope? Let's dive into Psalm 42 through 43, and we will see um, how this writer found hope in the midst of such terrible pain. Psalm 42 through 43, we're going to be reading it in its entirety right now, and so I encourage you to have just a little bit of of mental uh, awareness in this, and it's going to stretch us a little bit to read all this, but uh, please pay attention to these words if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Psalm 42, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go down to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and a songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God." Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as people. Maybe some of us brought pain into this room. And we are in need of telling ourselves, in need of hearing, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Hope in God. And so, Father, may we be people that find our hope truly in you. May we be people that remember what you have done. May we be people that stand firm in knowing that we have this relationship with you and so we can ask you to draw near to us. And may we be people that patiently wait for the future of where all pain, all tears will be wiped away. We get to worship you joyfully and freely in the satisfaction of your love. 
May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be honoring in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the psalmist here, he begins with an imagery for us as a deer that is longing, that is panting for water. He, a deer that is just in such a dry season, a deer that is so much in pain, longing to be satisfied. And he, the writer compares himself to that deer. And so we need to ask ourselves some context questions of why he is experiencing this pain. Why does he feel like he is in the midst of a desert longing to be satisfied by water? So there are two questions for us to help us figure out the context. The first one is who is writing this Psalm? And the second one is when was this written? So who was writing the Psalm? Well, there's a short introduction in 42, right at the beginning, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. So who are the sons of Korah? Well, they were a Levitical group of priests that uh, were designated by God to lead the people of God in worship. And so they would be like the worship team up here on stage that are leading the people in songs of praise and songs of lament. And so this, this group led them, uh, probably led this song, led the people of God in this song. Second piece of context for us was when was this written? Pastor Eric last week helped us to go through Psalm 142, where we saw David, who was the anointed king, running from King Saul, hiding in a cave. And he helped uh, share with us this beautiful piece of truth here, that these Psalms are written by real people in real situations. This Psalm was written by a real person in a real situation of distress. And so for us, this, this psalm is a little bit more difficult to pinpoint uh, when it was exactly written, what were the circumstances, but it's very probable that it was written during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. If you're familiar with God's history through Israel, is that Ezra and Nehemiah was written during the period of where Israel was on the brink of coming back to the promised land, uh, were coming back from exile, from enslavement, from the horrors of Babylon, and they're coming back to where the temple is desolate, the temple is destroyed, and uh, there is nothing there. And so the writer is writing to this psalm, articulating his distress of how he longs to be back in the presence of the Lord, longs to be back in the temple while certain enemies are keeping him from worshiping God with the people of God. Such pain. I mean, he says in verse three, I rem these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go down to the throng and lead people in worship in the house of God. Verse three and four, he talks about in 43, send out your light and your truth that they may lead me and bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. These enemies say to him, where is your God? So it's most likely that he hasn't been with uh, God's people worshiping God in the temple. And so this brings us to our first point today, 
that our pain should reveal our deep need to hope in God. Our pain should reveal our deep need to hope in God. Look at verses one through three, for he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I wonder if some of us resonate with this, this pain, pain so deep that you can't stop weeping, pain so deep that you are unable to eat. Maybe for you, it is a relative that has passed away, or it is a friend that has betrayed you or a family member. You see, pain brings us to our knees in prayer, longing and asking for God to make things right, wanting God to be with us. For this writer, it was the temple being taken away from him, which he related to the presence of God dwelling in the temple. He wasn't able to worship God with the people of God. And now maybe some of us in this room, we're probably thinking to ourselves, well, we can't really resonate with this pain, Kyle. We can't resonate with this pain that the writer is experiencing. I mean, if we're thinking about it theologically, some people might be thinking to themselves, well, uh, Kyle, place doesn't really matter so much. I mean, Jesus says in John 4, 20 through 22 to the woman at the well, that it doesn't matter if you worship in, you know, on this mountain or in Jerusalem, the father is looking for worshipers of the father in spirit and truth. And everything that Jesus says there is right and true. Um, but I would also argue that place does matter to the Lord. Jesus is making the point there that he's simply looking for the heart of worship. And so when it comes to uh, biblical history, when it comes to God's history and time under the old covenant, uh, Adam and Eve, well, not the old covenant yet, but Adam and Eve, they worshiped God in a particular place, the Garden of Eden. In the old covenant, God's people worshiped him in the tent of meeting. And then once when the temple was built, they worshiped God in particular place. Jesus in the new covenant, after he ascended, uh, the people of God gathered in Jerusalem to worship God. Uh, and the church was first established, but then persecution came. They were scattered. What did they do? They met in their specific towns uh, to gather with their people to worship God, very similar to how we're doing it. It now. And we long for the day of where we get to worship God in a particular place of the new heavens and the new earth where all uh, tears and pain will be wiped away from us. Place matters. It is surprising to me when I hear Christians in the West wanting to downplay the gathering of his people through the local church. But imagine with me for a moment if this gathering got taken away from us actually not too hard for us to imagine that because it happened a couple of years ago through COVID. Now I know many of you in this room, we don't want to talk about COVID again. We just want that to be in the past. I remember for myself, I was going months on end just waiting for a week of no conversation about COVID. <laughs> but if there was anything positive from COVID was that it revealed the importance of Christians gathering together to worship God. Christians across the globe felt the pain of months on end of not gathering. We felt the inadequacies of worshiping God in spirit and truth, through, but through a screen apart from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We felt that pain. 
Though the threat of COVID isn't keeping us from gathering anymore, maybe we know some people that are still experiencing this pain now. Maybe you know someone that is in their old age and they are unable to worship with us or with their local church because they are shut in. Maybe you know someone that isn't able to worship with us or their local church because they are sick in the hospital. So those people that are not able to gather with us or their local church family, I encourage you to bring the hope of the gospel to them. Be a presence in their life because God has made us in such a way of where we do not live the Christian life on our own, but we do so in the context of faith families. God has wired us to be in such a way of where we do not live alone. And being apart from family is painful. I mean, the writer is describing how he is longing to be back with the people of God, worshiping God. And recently, I got to experience a little bit of this, a little taste of this. Uh, my wife and I, before we got hired here, uh, we, were, um, uh, we had it planned for us to go to Brazil, not the, the Brazil, Indiana, <laughs> but the country of Brazil. My wife uh, was born and raised there as an MK, and that's a missionary kid, sorry. And uh, uh, so she was born and raised there. Her entire family is there. And so a family reunion was organized for us to go there. Um, so we had that plan to do that. Well, unfortunately, well, it was really, really good, but hard couple of weeks. But the week before that, I got to go to Belize with our students, which was absolutely amazing. And then three days after Belize, we left for Brazil. We're there for a couple of weeks. And then as soon as I came back, we had the high school retreat over a weekend. And then we had the middle school retreat. And I never want to plan. <laughs> I mean, it was God's planning, but I never want to plan it again to be that long away from you um, because I missed you. Even uh, I had family members in Brazil ask me, hey, Kyle, uh, how are you enjoying your new church? How are you enjoying the, the people there in your new job? And my response to them was, I miss them. Because you see, being apart from God's family brings about a certain like spiritual dryness of where we're longing to be satisfied by the Lord um, through the spirit of God and one another. Because spirit-empowered people, they sing over us. They encourage us out there and spirit-empowered people preach God's word to us. This gathering matters so much to our walk in Christ. And so, and I don't want to spend much time on this, but these verses also highlight the importance of all of us to be regularly gathering with one another for spiritual nourishment. And so if you are continually or habitually not coming to a local church, not coming to th th maybe this faith family, but you're watching online, then to some degree, I need to call you to repentance because God has called us to be united to him, but also united to one another. And we are not to neglect this gathering, neglecting the gathering. Well, he, the writer wasn't neglecting, but the writer was being forced to not gather and he felt spiritually dry. Maybe the reason why you're spiritually dry is because you have not been making your brothers and sisters a priority in hearing God's word taught and sung and encouraged to you through spirit empowered people. So we just saw that our pain should, re 
reveal our deep need to hope in God uh, through the context of the community with one another. Um, And so in the midst of our pain, we should run to God because he alone is the one who can restore our soul. Now this leads us to our main idea, which is this, in our pain, we should not despair, but hope in God. In our pain, we should not despair, but hope in God. Throughout these two Psalms, you see the chorus repeated three times. Look at 43 verse five. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's telling himself, why are you downcast? Why are you in turmoil? He's, he's not taking his situation and just accepting it passively, but he is repeating to himself. He is questioning himself, why, why, why? He is honestly wanting to figure it out. And oftentimes we can let our emotions, our situations control our very lives. But we need to fight this with placing our confidence and trust in God. Do not listen to yourself, friends, but speak to yourself, preach to yourself. In essence, we need to preach to our very souls. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a famous dead theologian, He was speaking on these two chapters and he says this, please listen. You have to take yourself in the hand. You have to dress yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. This self of ours, this other man within us has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn to him, speak to him, encourage him, exhort him, remind him what you know, instead of listening, listening complacently to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. We do not find truth from within ourselves, but we speak to ourselves the truth and the hope of the gospel by recalling what God has done. And so how are we to do this? How are we to find this hope? How are we to preach to ourselves this hope? Well, let's uh, look, read on. Um, So the first point for us is that we must remember God and his people. To find hope, to be people that are hope-filled, there's these three truths. The first one is this, we must remember God and his people. He says the word remember twice. Verse four, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go down to the throng and lead the people of God and worship in the house of God. Verse six, he says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me. We must be people that actively remember the worship that takes place in this room. Reflect back on the songs that have been sung over you, the truths of God's word. Maybe I need to sit up front more often so that I could hear you guys sing. I typically sit in the back with my daughters and wife because it is so beautiful to hear you sing. And so we must be people that remember the songs that are sung, remember the encouragement that happens out there and remember the proclamation of God's word right here by spirit empowered people. Secondly, we also must actively remember who God is. He recalls a couple of ways that he remembers God. First, he says, deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have crashed over me. 
What is he saying there? He's basically acknowledging God, even though things may feel like that, I, that things are not in control right now, I am remembering that you are in control. This is your waves, your breakers. Though I feel like I'm being pressed in and hurting and in pain, you are the one that is in control of this. You can leave me. And he also recalls to mind the Lord's steadfast love. And it's ultimately in Jesus Christ that we find the great, continual, faithful love of God. And so I encourage you that to remember uh, these things, to remember and recall to mind the hope that we have, remember Jesus. Remember who you are in Jesus. In Jesus, uh, in Jesus, I am holy. I am a new creation. I am adopted into God's family as a son of God. I am forgiven. I am free from the condemnation and power of sin. I am the Lord's beloved. Why is this? It is because of all that Jesus is belongs to me. All, all, because of my union in Christ, I now have the, the title of being holy. Because of Christ and who he is, he is the new creation. And so the firstborn of creation and in him, I am resurrected to new life. In Christ, he, Jesus, he is the son of God and it is because of Jesus that I am the child of God. In Jesus, he took the punishment for my sin and so I am forgiven. I will never experience the condemnation and the power of sin. In Jesus, he is dearly loved by the father and I am his beloved. Reflect and remember saints who Jesus is. Don't try to muster up within yourself. There is nothing good that we bring. It is all because of him. So we must be people that remember God and his people. Now, secondly, we must ask God to act. The writer here, he continually says, like, God, where are you? God, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? When we are in deep pain, hope-filled people turn to the one that can only provide the hope. So we must ask. The psalmist here, he feels abandoned. He feels that, that, that he is asking God to act, asking God to make his presence known. And so we must uh, wrestle with this question of good, does God truly abandon his people? I mean, the psalmist teaches us here that it's okay to articulate those feelings, but does he truly abandon us? Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 49, 13 through 16. Isaiah 49, 13 through 16. I love hearing pages turn. This was written about the time that Israel is entering into exile, entering into enslavement, feeling as if God has forsaken them. And so it's very uh, like these, I mean, if we remember the history that I laid out for us, this is written uh, around that time period of their, them entering into enslavement. Listen to these words. For the Lord has com uh, comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, that's Israel, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Now listen to these beautiful words from our God. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you in on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. 
in the midst of when we're feeling like God has forgotten us, that we are in deep pain, God speaks to Israel and gives them these two beautiful imageries. One of the most, one of the most intimate relationships between a mother and her child. And then two with the engraving on the hands. And it's so interesting because in Israel's day, you wouldn't have, I mean, you would have servants write the name of their master's hand to remember the name, but you would never have masters write the name of their servants, names on their hands. And what is so amazing is that God, the master of the universe, writes his servants on his hands. And we see that beautifully through Jesus Christ, who took our wounds, uh, who had the nails in his hands and raised from the dead with the holes still there. And he is interceding before God, our father, with the holes still in his hands and in his feet. Our names are written in his hands because Christ took the nails for us, continually interceding for us. And so we are not forsaken or forgotten because the Father continually looks to Christ on our behalf. We are united in such an amazing uh, covenant union because of what Christ has done. God will not forget us. And so in the midst of our pain, you can freely ask God to act with the confidence that he hears you. And guess what? Christ is interceding for you. You can freely ask God to, to God, make your presence known. I feel like you're forsaken, though the truth of God's word tells me that I'm not. And God will act for your good and for his glory. Hope-filled people turn to the Lord in prayer, asking God to act according to his will. Now, finally, we must patiently wait on his deliverance. One of the specific things that God, or that this psalmist says is 43 verse 3 of the Psalms, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, my God, my exceeding joy. Here, we don't know if the psalmist ever experienced the temple being rebuilt, worshiping God in the temple with the people of God. We don't know if he experienced that. It's most likely that he didn't. He patiently waited for the day where he would be back home. And in some sense, we are people today of where we're living in exiles, we're living in Babylon, longing for our home with the Lord, longing for the day where we get to return and be with him. And so we must be people that patiently wait on the Lord's deliverance. I mean, throughout uh, the... Um, the prophets, the prophets are really encouraging to read because throughout the prophets, though there might be some discouraging things, judgment and whatnot, but God drops seeds of hope for us. And one of those seeds of hope as, as the, uh, Israel is entering into enslavement is Jeremiah 29, 11, that many of us have memorized. Many of us may have on our, on our walls, gave it to someone at a graduation says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And it's so encouraging. But oftentimes we take this verse to be an individual comfort of where this is said to the people of God. God is making a promise, not to an individual, but to a people group. 
to his people, to his covenant community. And so the people that heard these first words, they probably didn't get to experience the prosperity, the hope in the future that they wanted. But it was their children or their children's children that did experience it. See, what they were doing is that they were looking to a hope in the future that gave them hope and encouragement now to withstand the exile, to withstand the enslavement. And so we too must be people that look to the future to give us hope for today. And in a couple chapters later, Jeremiah 31, 23 through 24, says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, when I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and in its towns will once again use these words, the Lord bless you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain, people will live together in Judah and all its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. They were looking forward to a day where they would find satisfaction. And friends, we too look forward to a day where we will find our ultimate satisfaction in Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. And may that give us the hope and the strength for the day. We do this a lot in regular situations. Uh, when a child, who my wife and I were dealing with this yesterday, when a child is you know, there and they're not eating their food, they're not eating the chicken, they're not eating the, 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 the green beans or whatever, sometimes you know, we cave and we're like, hey, we'll give you some dessert if you eat your food. And so the child's like, okay, sweet. <laughs> I'm gonna start doing that. A marathon runner, what gives them the strength through mile 13 or 16, they look forward to the medal that they're going to receive at the end, and that gives them strength. We do this all the time. Recently, when I was coming back from Belize, we were going from Belize to Houston to, um, to Indianapolis, and as we're flying to Indianapolis, the pilot said to us, hey, there are some storms in Indianapolis, we need to turn this plane around. And in that moment, it's like 10 o'clock at night, I'm freaking out. I'm, this is my first time leading an international trip <laughs> and all eyes are on me. What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna stay? Are we gonna get a flight tomorrow? I was feeling really, really sad because we were promising my girls that the next morning I would see them once when they wake, woke up. I was looking forward to waking them up. Found out later that one of our students had a funeral to go to the next day. And so all of this was just crashing in on us. But what gave me hope, what gave me the strength was like, hey, this plane's not crashing. <laughs> we will get there. Maybe it won't be tomorrow. Maybe it'll be the next day. Maybe it'll be some vans that we drive. We were looking through all options. <laughs> and the hope of knowing that, hey, I will get there. I will see my family. It gave me the assurance that, hey, God will work everything out. And how much more do we have confidence in our hope that since Christ rose from the dead, all right, he, he uh, had victory over the grave and we are given the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. And so we long and hope for that day. May that hope of that day give you the strength and the encouragement now. May that day of future satisfaction satisfy you now. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong there. And this hope that we have in the living Christ will one day come again. And so with this hope, we need to be people that regularly remember. We need to ask the Lord uh, to be near to us 
And we need to be people that wait patiently so we can be people that uh, join with these words that say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We can join in those words because we have hope that is secure. This future hope is what Horatio Spafford was looking forward to that gave him comfort. For he also says in that song, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. Are you waiting for that day? Are you longing for that day where all pain, all tears will be wiped away? May that give you hope for today, strength for today, satisfaction for the day as we long for it. Let's pray. Father, may we be people that resonate with this psalm. There is no reason for us to be downcast, to be in despair but may we preach to our very selves that we have reason to hope in God. For though we may feel like we can't praise you now, we look forward to that day where we get to praise you for eternity, where all tears, all pain, everything that is bad in the world will be wiped away. And so, Father, may we sing and rejoice in you with our hearts, as we long for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.